Hello and welcome to Women of the Middle East podcast. This podcast relates the realities of Arab women and their rich and diverse experiences. It aims to present the multiplicity of women's voices, and it wishes to break cultural stereotypes about women of the Middle East, as well as educate and empower the younger generation of Middle Eastern women who were stripped of their historical reference and weren't necessarily raised to believe in their agency and power to create their own destiny. I'm Amman Al-Malki, I'm a feminist, scholar and educator. I'm also the author of Arab Women in Arab News, Old Stereotypes and New Media. I created this podcast to be an extension and an update of the book and its main topics. Episode 1. The Persistent Stereotypical Images of Arab Women in the West I'll be talking a bit about the history of the misrepresentation of Arab women in the Western popular culture. Then I will zoom in to talk about an old yet new example, and that is of Jasmine in Disney's 2019 Aladdin. From the 1980s, there has been a spate of empirical media studies showing that Arab women, and Arabs generally, are represented in Western media in a negative light. These empirical studies confirmed anti-Arab stereotypes that scholars have documented for hundreds of years in the West. The identification of Arab women as passive in the Western imagination has an estimated birth around the turn of the 19th century with the confluence of colonialism and romanticism. Western stereotypes of Arab women evolved from pre-colonial images of shrewish, harassing women to colonial and post-colonial images of Arab women as oppressed, submissive, and passive slaves to men. With the image of compliant, uncome, hetero, odalisk burnt into the Western psyche, the representation of Arab women has coursed through a steady stream of media, including the word of mouth of travelers, theater and literature, stage photography and Hollywood movies, vintage postcards, journalism, contemporary art, fashion, the rise of hijabi chic, pious performance art, and cultural and historical semiotics. In the Odyssey, Homer describes Ulysses caught at sea between two devastating forces, the monster Skylo, who devoured sailors, and the menace Sherbets, a wire pool that sucked a ship down to the bottom of the sea. Studies of Arab women in media have been caught between the skyla of unholy myth and the sherbets of regrettable fact. The skyla in this case is the Western myth of rescue, the belief that Arab women, veiled and secluded, must be saved from their own cultures. This myth has been pervasive throughout the West since 1980s. This myth has been pervasive throughout the West since 1800 and has a long and unhappy history. The myth predates the era of European colonization of Arab territories and was certainly a contributing fact to it. Both during colonization and even after, the myth has been reinforced and even commoditized. We have seen across all manners of artifacts, from postcard images of Algerian women sold as kitsch trinkets to French tourists, 
to editorial cartoons, mocking women and veils, to state photography of Western models posing as harem women in the formative days of Hollywood, to depictions of Arab women submitting willingly to male domination in modern Hollywood movies. Now, let's look at the recent portrayal of Jasmine in Disney's 2019 Aladdin. This segment is a tribute to the late Jack Shaheen, who has spent his life working and writing about the misrepresentations of Arabs and Muslims in Western media, especially in Hollywood. He campaigned against and was the reason for changing the lyrics of the opening song Arabian Nights in the Aladdin's animation. The song said, where they cut off your ear, if they don't like your face, it's barbaric, but hey, it's home. For this segment of the episode, I'm interviewing Dr. Evelyn Sultani. Dr. Sultani is a leading expert on the history of representations of Arabs and Muslims in the U.S. media and on forms of anti-Arab, anti-Muslim racism. Sultani is an associate professor in the Department of American Studies and Ethnicity at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. And she is the author of Arabs and Muslims in the Media, Race and Representation after 9-11. So there's a lot to say on this topic. I want to preface by saying that the 1992 cartoon version, it was very problematic. But despite that, a lot of my students who were children at the time when the 1992 version came out and then they were in my class much later when they were in their 20, early 20s, loved the first Aladdin, even with all of its problems, because they felt like that's all they ever had. That there were so few representations of Arabs available to them and that Aladdin seemed positive compared to all the others of terrorists. Even though Aladdin reproduced a binary between Aladdin and Jasmine had American accents. They were very much marked as white middle-class Americans, even though they're supposed to be Arab. But as children, they've just loved it so much. And then later on, they realized the problems, but they said, it's all we had and it meant so much to us. So I can imagine the new generation now of children also having a very deep connection because there are, even though representations have evolved and changed over time, they're a little bit better in US media, there's still so few that we're so desperate for them. Mm -hmm. I was uh, on a community advisory commit council for the film Aladdin. I had a very tiny role, but I got to sit in on a few meetings and I had to sign a non-disclosure agreement so I can't talk, unfortunately, about the nitty gritty of those meetings. But it was very interesting to witness that the people making Aladdin wanted community feedback. So it was mainly Arab and Muslim and South Asian scholars and activists and creatives that they brought in to give them feedback. They had already made their decisions before we came in, but they really wanted uh, to be culturally sensitive. So for example, one thing they did that's distinct with Jasmine is that in 1992, all of her outfits show her midriff. They're very revealing. They're very much sexually objectifying her. And the new Jasmine in 2019 is fully clothed. She's modestly dressed. And part of it was a strategy because they wanted the film to be meaningful to Muslim children around the world and not only to American audiences. So that's one striking di dis difference about her. Another main difference is that in the first Aladdin, or I won't, won't call it the first, since it's a very long trajectory, but in terms of Hollywood films, 
1992 version, Jasmine's goal is to pick her mate. She doesn't want her father to choose who she's going to marry. And so her goal is to have some kind of agency over who she's going to marry. And then fast forward, and that's not Jasmine's primary goal. She's going to rule the kingdom. So we have a, a big shift in terms of how gender roles are conceptualized. She's no longer a princess who needs to have a man and she's gonna stand behind the man. She is now educated, she's smart, she's going to be the leader, there's no question. She has ideas for how she's gonna rule the kingdom. She wants it to be multicultural. Uh, so those are uh, two of the main distinctions. The other is um, her song that she won't go speechless is significant in terms of the Me Too movement in the United States, where many women have spoken out about uh, the abuse that they have experienced. Many are famous actors who faced uh, rape and sexual harassment by men in power. And so the song seems very much to be linking to the current moment in the US and making it relevant in that kind of way. So those are the main changes with Jasmine, and I've thought a lot about the changes and how it reflects social change. There are many other ways that the new version reflects social change. The, in the earlier version, 1992, there was a distinction with the accents. So there was a strange old English accent that signified evil, and the American accents were good. The um, bad characters were browner, the good characters were lighter. These binaries were stark and extremely offensive. There was a song in the original one, which actually Dr. Jack Shaheen worked very hard to have changed, uh, that this land, Agrabah, which was supposed to be Baghdad, but because of the Gulf War in 1990, 1991, they didn't want to associate the film with war, so they changed it to a fictional location, and they describe it in the song as, um, where they cut off your ear if they don't like your face. It's barbaric, but hey, it's home. And Dr. Oh, yeah. Sahin worked to change that in the earlier version, but the songs are, you know, are not blatantly offensive. So there's been some major changes. The other big change is around casting. And just like there seems to be some movement because of the Me Too movement, there's also some movement because of the Oscar so white controversy. So the Oscar, uh, the Academy Awards, there was a hashtag that went viral, Oscar So White, criticizing Hollywood for not only um, awarding most of the awards to white actors and actresses, but there's also been a trend of whitewashing, which means giving the brown roles to white actors. And mm -hmm. Hollywood um, discovered with Black Panther and Crazy Rich Asians that you can create movies with predominantly brown casts and they still make money and then they had produced exodus gods and kings about ancient egypt and they cast white actors it didn't do well in the box office they did that with ghost in the shell which is supposed to be cast an asian actress but they cast a, a white actress mm -hmm. and so they had a few flops in the box office from casting white actors in brown roles so they changed that so aladdin is predominantly brown uh, it was a huge deal that the actor for Aladdin, Mina Masood, was cast as Aladdin. He's a Coptic Egyptian, Indian, uh, and there was a little controversy around Jasmine and her casting because many people wanted her to be Arab and they cast a South Asian British actress. 
And uh, the Disney executives uh, said, and this is on the record, uh, Julie Ann Cromit, who works at Disney, uh, was I read an interview in the newspaper with her, and she said that they intentionally chose a South Asian actress because just like Aladdin is so meaningful to Arab children around the world, it's also very meaningful to South Asian children around the world. They wanted to make that connection. Uh, and in the film, it's very brief. It's very easy to miss, but there's a reference that Jasmine's mother comes from another land. Yeah. And they're trying to acknowledge, they're trying not to conflate that Indian, Arab are the same thing. So she's from another land and they try to use that to say she's aware of multiculturalism, she wants to rule in this new way. Uh, so they've made these tweaks. I do have a larger criticism, which is, this is great and this is reflective of social change. But to what extent is this real social change if the operating framework is still Orientalist? If we still don't know the difference between Bollywood and belly dance, a kafia and a Sikh turban, we don't know the Iranian accent compared to the Arab accent compared to the Indian accent. It's all still mashed together. They're all still the same. And my um, concern is that there is a trend in Hollywood that improving representations and not reproducing the terrorist one that's so common, that the improvement is going back to old Orientalist depictions because they're romantic and they're fun and they're exotic and they're not mean and they're not evil and they're not portraying necessarily barbarism. But to what extent can we really embrace the social change when we're in the same Orientalist framework? Interesting. What do you mean that it goes back to romanticizing the Orient and the specific uh, you know, example of Jasmine? So in the uh, history of Hollywood filmmaking, which begins roughly in the late 1800s, um, I think the first film was 1897. It was called Fatima. It was the dance that portrayed the Middle East and it was the dance of Fatima. She was a belly dancer. And a lot of the earlier movies, early 1900s, The Sheik, uh, Road to Morocco, uh, Thief of Baghdad, Arabian Nights in the 1940s, that the earlier films portray the Middle East as exotic, romantic, dangerous in a romantic way, uh, strange. And those early depictions definitely reduce the Middle East to an abstraction, as Edward Said would say, around Orientalism. Uh, but they appear less harmful than the later depictions around terrorism that really emerge after the creation of the State of Israel in 1948 and the Arab-Israeli War in 1967. Uh, then we get to see the terrorist portrayal. And in terms of women's portrayal, earlier films we have Arab women who are also conflated with Muslim women as belly dancers and harem girls predominantly. They're in the background, they're just there to feed men and dance for men and entertain men. And then uh, later we get the depiction in the 1960s, 70s, 80s uh, of, actually they disappear for a while. And when they come back, they are oppressed and veiled. And occasionally they are terrorists too. So the empowered Arab woman has a machine gun and is also a terrorist. And then her mm -hmm. counterpart is the oppressed one who's silent and can't speak. Uh, more recently in U.S. media after 9-11, a new figure emerged for both men and women, but there have been more and more women lately in this role, which is of the patriotic American woman. 
So the good Arab or good Muslim in the U.S. has to prove that they're patriotic towards the United States. So we had figures, uh, some examples. The TV show Homeland has a character, Farah Shirazi. She wears a hijab. She works for the CIA. She ends up being killed to prove that she will do anything for the United States. Uh, Quantico had Reina and Nima, two sisters who work for, uh, I think, the CIA. Uh, so there, there's this new figure of the patriotic. Uh, she's supposed to be smart and empowered because she works for the government, but it's all about proving that you're good. And so my question around this figure is, what does it mean to have a positive representation of it? So limited that patriot patriotism also means one thing. It doesn't mean questioning the government of the United States. It doesn't mean challenging to ensure democracy. It means uh, being on the side of the government even in light of any war or killing that they are doing. Uh, there's also a victimized version, which is um, someone who's been victim of hate crimes after 9-11. So that's another figure that has emerged. So there's been some change over time, and we can say that the patriotic one is better than the terrorist one or the oppressed one. And similarly with Jasmine, we can say, yes, this is great that she is going to rule the kingdom. It's significant. But my question is, my caution is when I talk about representations to steer away from good and bad analysis because if you say good and bad well then it's good mm -hmm. and we can end our conversation but if we think about how is this working and how can we think about this change but it's in this orientalist framework so how much is it really changing and when I think about that question of orientalism in the U.S. orientalism is not controversial it's still romantic it's still something you can consume um, whereas casting white people for brown roles, it was controversial, they made a change. The Me Too movement raised an issue, it was controversial, they made a change. As long as Orientalism is not controversial and many people don't even know what it means, it will continue and it will appear like it's good in comparison. Yeah, is it better? Sure, it's better, but it doesn't mean that that's the goal. It would be encouraging our youth to be a part of the solution. These stereotypes are so powerful and damaging. I dug up a, a poll that many people cite in relation to Aladdin. A 2015 poll revealed that 30% of Republicans and 18% of Democrats would favor bombing Agrabah. Oh they, my God. They don't even know that it's a fictional country. They don't even know what it is, but they would favor bombing the country. So it speaks to a lot of ignorance. And it speaks to the power of representations. Hey, how do you want to do you want to bomb this fictional this country that you've never heard of? Yeah, sure, let's bomb it. Yeah. So the the work itself, encouraging our youth to go into this profession, encouraging funders out there. You know, there are a lot of people who have money who are funding different kinds of projects. They're funding important things, whether it's health projects or infrastructure projects. To think about funding uh, workshops to develop creative talent. Help us tell our stories. Help the youth get into the Hollywood industry. And storytelling is, is so powerful. Yeah. And it has sure. had such a, a, a negative consequence on, on Arab and Muslim communities. That's it for the first episode. For the next one, I'll be attempting to define Arab woman. For your questions and comments, please contact me on amal at amalalmalki.com. And that's amal, A-M-A-L, at a-M-A-L-A-L-M-A-L-K-I dot com.
I would like to end this episode with Jasmine's song, Speechless, which I personally like. This song is performed by Aisha Zayani, who is a rising singer and songwriter from Qatar. So until next time, take care and stay safe. My voice drowned out in the thunder But I won't cry